Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Monday, April the 19th, 2021, and this is episode 2860 of the Survival Podcast. Today's show is going to be called, Is It Even Possible to Wake People Up at This Point? I get this question a lot, um, and I'm going to ask you something in response to it. I think sometimes the best way to answer a question is with another question, right? Because I think when a person says, is it even possible to wake people, people up at this point? If, if all the shit that we've seen happen in the past year hasn't woken a person up, will they ever wake up? So my question in response to that would be, has it ever been possible to wake people up? Ever. Do any of us actually ever, you know, they call it red pill. Did any, does, does it, do any of us ever actually red pill anybody? You know, especially if you look at somebody like myself or other content creators that I've had this discussion with, you know, I talk to a couple hundred thousand people per episode, eventually hear an episode that I put out. There's people that are way bigger than me. There's people that their audience numbers in the millions. So those people, more so than myself, they like one message can reach a million people or more. The average person doesn't do that. The average person is not... Uh, even if they're exceptional in some way, they're average in in the means by which they communicate. You know, they maybe talk to a couple dozen people a week or less in any real meaningful way. So if I'm not red-pilling people, if people way bigger than me are not red-pilling people, then what odds? Are, what are the odds that the average person is red-pilling anybody? That's assuming, of course, that we're not. Now, I know a lot of you are probably thinking, Jack, you're out of your mind. Not only have you red-pilled people, I know you red-pilled people because you red-pilled me. For those not familiar with the term red-pill, it's from the movie The Matrix, where the main character and hero, Neo, is offered by one of the other heroes of the whole thing, Morpheus, a choice. Take the blue pill and go back to sleep. Take the red pill and see how far the rabbit hole goes, right? And see what's really going on. And, of course, he wakes up in this disgusting, pus-filled pod and finds out he's got a thing plugged into his head and basically he's been in a virtual reality world for his whole life and he's basically nothing but a battery and so when we say red pill in the real world we take that movie as the analogy that it is and say that's how most people are you're nothing but an energy source for the people in power you're being controlled you're being manipulated you're being programmed you're being indoctrinated and there is a choice where you can wake up to what's being done to you, and then you can do something about it for yourself. That's that's generally what we mean when we say red pill. But I, I think that the movies that you build on these kinds of concepts, they require a Morpheus character. They require a guide, right? But even in those movies, it breaks down to the reality. Do you notice they didn't, like, say, hey, you know what we really need? We need a guy with... Uh, a certain mindset, certain skills. Let's like scan the matrix and find one and pick one to wake up. It's not how the movie worked at all, is it? No one chose, hey, we'll go get this person because we think that they're smart or we think that they should wake up. What happened was people in the movie began to wake up on their own. 
And then the guides came in the form of Morpheus when it comes to Neo. But you would you would extrapolate from the movie that, that that was not the only person that would be involved with waking up a mind. Morpheus just happened to be the one for that particular situation. What does that have to do with today? What does it have to do with building a non-brittle life? What does that have to do with modern survivalism? Is it something we should be discussing? Obviously, I think so, or we wouldn't be. And why does it matter? Why does this matter? Well, if you give me just a little bit of time today to get through the interest segment, we'll talk all about that and more, and why you can either use this knowledge that you've acquired to build a really great, resilient life of your own, or you can spend your entire life frustrated trying to drag people along for a, a walk that they don't want to take. All of that and more in just a minute. Let's start out by reminding you about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is KnifeKits.com. Building a knife is a great way to develop skills. It's a great way to develop a new hobby, possibly a side hustle, maybe even a full-time business, and kind of the best place to start. If you really like, if you're like, I don't know that I can actually make a knife, is KnifeKits.com because they make it really easy and really affordable. And anyone, even me, can make a great knife with the knife kits available at knifekits.com. But if you're a master bladesmith or that's where you're headed, they have some incredible raw materials as well. Um, they have mammoth tusk. They have you know buffalo horn. They have incredibly uh, exotic Damascus steels. So it's really for everybody. And they even have a lot of the kydex material and stuff like that. At any level that you want to get involved, you can start learning how to make knives. And what a great project to do with a son or a daughter. I know if I had a knife that I made with my father, I would never, ever, ever part with it. Maybe you can make a new family heirloom and develop a skill at the same time. And if you're like, I don't really know how to do this, and I'm worried about my kids, hey, why don't you guys learn how to do it together? That will be a hell of a bonding experience. Check them out today, knifekits.com. Next up, the Free State Project. The Free State Project is the organization that I've probably worked with the longest through the history of this show. They reached out to me very early on. Something about the early TSP shows and the mission of the Free State Project just kind of gelled. I've spoke three times at their events. They're always trying to get me up there for Porkfest, and I just I just can't do it that time of year. I would love to sometime. Um, I've done their, uh, their, their Liberty Forum, like I said, three times. Amazing people. I love working with them. And if you want to know if New Hampshire is the right place for you, here's an idea. Take a vacation. Go to New Hampshire. While you're on vacation, meet some of these awesome people, and then just kind of let it percolate in your mind. Like, is this the right place for me? You can learn more by going to fsp.org forward slash visit NH. With that, let's start digging into this. I want to start out with a quote, and you might imagine I've chosen a quote from the movie The Matrix. This is actually from Matrix Reloaded. The architect said this. He said, hope is the quintessential human delusion simultaneously the source of your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. I think this is the heart of what I wanted to talk to you about today. And it wasn't like I found this quote and then I wanted to talk about it. I was like, this is what I want to talk about. And I went to try to find a quote, and I just put into Google Matrix quotes. And when I read this one, I went, like, that's it. That's it. This is what I'm trying to get at to you today. This this. this Quote of the day will be the Cliff Notes version of the entire show. We get into this place where we actually do wake up and we think something has to be done. We have to fight back. And then our natural human instinct 
is to look for an ideology or a guru or a program or something. Think about any time you've ever had a problem with something. Like, you needed to lose weight, so what did you do? Did you just start eating less food? No, you went out and you researched things and you looked for a program, a diet, a routine, an exercise, something that you could do to solve your problem. It's what we do. We identify a problem, then we seek a solution. The problem comes when we misidentify the problem. So if we go look at something like weight loss, we may misidentify the reason that we're overweight, and therefore whatever solution we come to is only going to make us more miserable, more upset, and in time, even if we lose a little bit of weight going in, we'll end up fatter than ever before. This is what happens to so many people when it comes to waking up to this world that we live in. So with that in mind, I want you to start thinking about it this way. Like I said in my intro segment, Neo had already awoken in the movie before he got the red pill. Neo had already started to figure out things aren't what they seem. Things aren't what they seem. There's something not right. He began to dig into basically hacking as a computer hacker. And that, because of the way the Matrix was in the movie, it, it led him to start figuring some things out and also to kind of attract the attention of people who would have really preferred that he not do that. So not only did the resistance realize what he was up to, so did the oppressor. And what I really want you to think about is that fact. He had already woken up. He just didn't know the full story. He didn't know how bad it really was, but he knew it wasn't right. And even then, the pill, when Morpheus offers him the pill, it's a choice. You can take the blue pill, and you can go back to sleep. You can take the red pill, and we can see how far the rabbit hole holds. We can see the whole truth if you, if you just take this red pill. And in the movie, that result was instantaneous. He takes the pill, kind of blacks out for a minute, wakes up in this horrible dystopian reality, this, this pot of goo with this thing in the back of his head, and gets dumped out, and for some reason you get dumped out like, I don't know, like a water slide ride or something, like as though uh, the, uh, the dead body would need to be conveniently removed that way, and the ship picks him up and he goes off and he learns to fight all this evil. And there's this group of comrades waiting for him to help him become what he's supposed to become. That's hope. And it's false hope in this world if we bring that reality back to the way things really are. That's not how it works. We don't wake up to realize something's wrong and have anyone or anything that can give us a simple, quick thing that we pop like a pill and immediately see everything for the way that it is. But what made that a stellar storytelling medium in the movie was it is how it works. Because the pill was a choice. The pill was a choice. And this is the real choice that we, we come down with in this. We wake up and we realize something's not right. We start digging into it and we start to learn some things. When you do that, you're going to find some things that are as outlandish as the true matrix in the movie. And most of them aren't true. Most of them are nonsense. Most of them are gobbledygook. And you're going to find out a lot of things that you're going to really wish weren't true, that there's going to be overwhelming evidence that they are true. Some mundane things like the education system is not an educational system. It is an indoctrination system. The pills, the blue and the red pill, will be made up 
of the reality that if you want an excuse to go back to sleep, if you want to convince yourself this is all a bunch of tin foil hat nutter crap, there's enough of it there that you can consume a little bit of that, dabble in some you know really wild conspiracy theory, convince yourself that since that's what some of the other people say, that it, it's not real, swallow the blue pill and go back to sleep. I also want you to think about something else in the movie. Minds were only awoken in the movie when young and when they were already waking up. They actually, if I remember right in the first movie, they said something to the effect that Neo was a special case. Like, generally, they don't even try to wake somebody up at his age. It's one of the oldest minds we ever woke up or something like that. Something like that, I seem to remember. And I think there is some level of the case for that. The longer you've lived accepting everything at face value that you're told, that's, that's programmed into you, the harder it is for you to think independently, to break free. But this metaphor tells us an awful lot about life and why we should stop trying to wake people up. If you think about it, and I know all of us have had the time where we've like been like, Bill or Tom or Fred or uncle or aunt, you know, somebody says something. And it sounds like a Neo line. It sounds like they've begun to become open to a thing. And then it might be a thing that we actually know a lot about. And I don't mean we think we know. We don't believe. We actually know. It's, it could be a topic that we've actually researched. But if that person hasn't actually started to wake up, you can give them the most accurate, articulate, fact-filled argument you can come up with and it will fail to reach the person who does not want to be reached. It won't matter. You can sit there and say, look, I'm going to give you a fact. And you can give them a fact and they can say they don't believe it. And you can say, before we even go any further, let's sit down. Let's use a computer. Let's look this up. Let's verify this fact. And they can verify the fact and they can see that it's true. And then we can do this step by step by step everywhere. Even if we can get them to be that willing to examine what we're telling them. If they've chosen not to believe, nothing will change their mind. Nothing. To the point where I would say some people are so latched into this, if God, who or whatever God is, were to come down and appear before them and say, my child, everything this other being is telling you is a fax. They'd say, nah, no. Nope, not there's some, some kind of trick going on here. This isn't real. Right? The reality, the reality is so against what the person has chosen in their perception bias that it's easier to believe an illusion than it is the truth. Because the truth itself is almost as horrifying as we're all in a pod in a tube of goo with a, with a, a giant thing shoved in the back of our neck acting as a battery. If, you, if you've believed otherwise, and I don't mean otherwise that we're the battery, but if you've believed otherwise, if you've believed counter to the reality that we live in today, if you've believed in red, right, and blue, if you've believed that we are always the good guys in America, if you believe the cops are always the good guys, right? right? And I think it's just, just as hard for people who've always believed the cops are the bad guys. And they don't have any nuance for anything within these things. Where if you've believed in an absolutism and you are now looking at the subjective reality, 
there is no full 100% true story being told by anybody because everybody has an agenda. It becomes much easier to continue to believe the fantasy than to even examine the reality. Most people in the world would choose to be a lion in a zoo. If they were a lion and they understood what it was to be a lion and you said to them, well, you can be well-fed and protected and have complete security in this little make-believe habitat, and somebody will bring you giant you know, lobs of red, raw, beautiful meat every day. You won't have to run anything down. You won't get kicked in the face by a gazelle because even lions can be seriously injured or even injured to the point where they die just in hunting. You won't ever have to fight with any other lions. If you're a male lion, you won't have to, you won't have to, to battle to remain in a pride. You won't grow old and one day have one of your sons sink his teeth into your neck and end your existence to take over. You, you won't have to do any of that. But you won't be free. You won't be running on the plains. You won't be able to fully express yourself as a lion. But you'll be well cared for. If, you, if you, something happens to you, we'll fix it. People will come and look at you, but you'll be able to live your own life pretty much the way you want. You'll have no privacy, but you'll have incredible Security. Most people would choose to be the lion in the zoo. And this is very, very hard for people to accept. If you're someone who never would. If you're someone who never would. I think in a lot of ways it's like trying to understand a person who's gay if you're not gay. Like, I'm not gay, so I can't pretend to understand how a gay person feels about someone of the same sex. I don't, I don't understand it. I can't quite get there. That they're, I don't have anything against that person, but I, I can't pretend and I don't want to pretend that I understand. Right? It's just they have an attraction to, to something or someone of the same sex, which to me is not a natural way for humans to behave. I don't, I'm not judging. I'm saying it's not normal in that it's, it's, it's the far, far, far into the minority of people, right? I think that the majority of people actually want to be the lion in the zoo. Well, if you want to be the lion running free on the Serengeti, if you want to be the lion that risks everything to be what a lion really is, if you are the being that would say, if you come try to take me out of my jungle, you might die in the jungle with me because I'm not going. I think that person struggles in the same way to understand how the majority of people are so happy to be domesticated animals because that's what they are. The average person is a domesticated animal, and that's by design. They want you domesticated. Domesticated animals are obedient. Think about the lion. Let's go back to the lion for a second. You go out on the, the Serengeti, and we're not in like a halfway in, halfway out lion here, right? We're not talking about a lion that sees people every day. We're not talking about a lion that park rangers, you know, occasionally when things are hard, they kind of... You know, they find a dead gazelle somewhere and they throw it in the back of a lorry and they back up and they kick it off and give it to them, right? We're talking about a lion that lives like a lion that sees humans as a potential danger and a potential source of prey. You Are you going to walk up to that lion on his own territory? And the answer is hell no, but people walk up to lions and feed them like house cats in zoos. Occasionally it all goes wrong, because a lion still is a lion. But think of how compliant and complacent that animal is. I took my grandson to a big cat rescue. They have tigers and you know, cougars and lions and everything at this place. It's in Wiley, Texas. Really amazing place. 
and they, they tell you don't, you know, and basically you have as a cage that holds the animal in, and it's like a cage mode. There's like a second cage. All the cages are double cage. So there's an area where you could walk in where you're inside, like for feeding and taking care of them and moving them around. But as a person, you, you, you're not separated by glass or anything like that. You get a very good view of the animal, but there's this, this gap of about three feet where you couldn't, no matter how stupid you are, you can't get yourself bit or clawed or pulled into the cage by the line. You can't reach. An average human being cannot stick their arm through that gap and get to where the, the cat is. But handlers go in there. And they want, they don't want to create the problem they're trying to solve. And the problem they're trying to solve is people are stupid and go, you mean I can buy a baby tiger and keep it in my apartment? And they don't want you to really understand how, how, how domesticated those animals have become because they still can eat your face off. But I watched a guy kind of slip for a minute, one of the employees. And this tiger, big male tiger, was like right, right by the cage, and he put his hand up, and that tiger responded to him the way my cat Fox, my big old freaking tabby house cat, responds to me. He rubbed his face on that man's hand. There was pure affection there. Right? That, that tiger, in spite of the fact that he still is a tiger, has become heavily domesticated, and now you can do things with him. He's still dangerous, because people are dangerous. But you can do things with him you are not going to do with a tiger in the jungle in India unless you want to end up as tiger poop, right? So when we look at humanity and we realize there's people that want to control others and you have human beings who are the most cunning and dangerous creatures on the planet, no one is as dangerous as a human being that wants you dead. No one. There, you know, an animal has a limited number of ways and a limited number of opportunities in which they can kill you. Think about how dangerous a human is. I just want you to, for you for a second. I want you to imagine there is a human being on this planet that you have decided, no matter the risk, you want them dead. Can you kill them? Odds are, even if it was somebody like a highly protected dignitary or something, you probably could. But if they were a like just an average person, even an important person. There's literally nothing that can protect a person from having another person who's decided they're going to die and has calculated it and decided, I'm going to figure out a way to make it maximum potential for success. There's a high probability the bad guy's going to win and you're going to die. That's how dangerous a human is. And there's a thousand ways to do it, right? Cut somebody's brakes, right? Put a rattlesnake in their, in their, uh, in their mailbox. There's two examples of... No animal can sort that out. No lion, no tiger, no bear, right, can sort that those two things out. And there's a thousand more we can come up with. So you're dealing with a, a group of people that want to control a species. And a species that is incredibly cunning, incredibly adaptable. The only way you can do this is domestication. Look at like bovines, right, like cattle. Wild cattle are incredibly dangerous, and they're nowhere near as smart as a human. But they will smash you into oblivion. But yet we can make a cow so docile that it will go where it's led, like a dog. We do this through domestication. We take the animal, if it's if like a first generation, it's got a, it cannot be raised by wild parents. So we take the young animal 
from its parents. Right? Hmm. Why do you think they want mandatory pre-K? They want to get your kids earlier and younger. We don't let them have too much interaction with their parents, especially before the parent is domesticated. We control when they eat, how they eat. We give them pleasure and pain as the two means of reinforcing the behavior that we want to see. Sound like school? And if we do that for several generations, we don't have to separate the child from the parent much anymore, only for their training. We can let the parent, you know, suckle the young young calf. We have the parent worry about protecting it from the wolf. But in the end, we're still going to reinforce the training with the calf so the calf will become a good member of the herd. This is where you live. This is society today. And when we look at that, I think people are not woken up by others, rather by their life experiences and I also think their mental predisposition. I don't think anybody can wake up from this. We've all, if, we've, if you work with animals, you've, we've all had over time animals that were less subject to domestication than others or more into independent thought. Some of them are the best animals you can work with. My dog, Charlie, my buddy David, says he's 10% human because there's places where he makes his own decisions and he's got a personality and it's, it's not a normal dog. It's incredibly rewarding, but there's limits to how much control you can exert over an animal like that. Now, add the brains of a real human. It becomes very, very difficult. And so I think unless you have the disposition, something in you that makes you the kind of person who's going to start to notice the problems on your own, no, nobody can do it for you. Nobody can get to you. Nobody can red pill you. I don't think it's actually a thing. And I think we should stop trying. That doesn't mean we should shut up. I mean, obviously, I do this show. I've been doing it for 13 years. I'm not going to stop. What I'm saying is, instead of targeting people, we should put our messages out there. We should evolve as much as we can. And we should understand that there is so much available to anybody seeking it that it is never going to be a lack of information that's the problem. If anything, there might be too much information in some ways today. Because like I said, a lot of people would really rather eat the blue pill. And if you give them away... If you give them a few things they can cling to, well, then it's, it becomes easy. I think once they wake up, we can help them, as we can. But I think we got to get to a point now where we got to realize if we want to advance our own life, if we don't want to waste our life energy, the sleeping should be left to enjoy the illusion. Because I want to talk to you about what happens when a person does wake up. I think we've all probably been through this in our lives. And then... It's a lot like, remember those books, Choose Your Own Adventure books? If you're an 80s kid, you probably remember these. It'd be like, you know, you're driving a race car and the motor's overheating, and but you're out of gas in the middle of the desert. Do you A, wait for the car to cool down, or B, dump the gas in the car? And you say, A, wait for it to cool down, and then turn to page 61. And you turn to page 61, and it says, after cooling down, you add gas to the engine, and your car's going back down the road. Or you say, dump it in, and it, it explodes, and you die, and your, your story's over, and you start again, Right? I think we all have those moments in this journey, if we start this journey, where we either end up going back to sleep or we end up going off the deep end. And this is what I, I've seen the most of, and I've seen this with all types of quote-unquote waking up. And I wonder if, 
you know, some of the people in the woke culture, the cancel mafia culture, etc., I think some of them actually have some valid points. I don't agree with their means or their method or their total delusionary shit, but I wonder if they're just people that woke up and went off the deep end in the other direction. Because this is what I see, and it, I, I see similarities in both groups. They wake up, and the first thing they develop, when they kind of take a, a full pill of something, right, and start to figure out, hey, look, and it could be libertarianism, just, hey, the government shouldn't be making all of our decisions, Or, hey, look, really, this, the things we're doing are unsustainable and we need to change, right? No matter what it is, they get some form of what you would call Messiah complex, right? Like spreading the good news in an evangelical way. They, because they were ready for whatever it was that did it, they become convinced that if other people just knew that, they'd wake up too, right? When, when, when they don't realize at that point that maybe they've been ready for a long time, And they've been testing different pills, and they found one, and boom, it woke them up. So they're like, yes, this explains everything. So then they're like, well, if I just tell enough people, then enough people will do it. And that goes to the next thing that happens. And that is, first off, because they are waking to this horror, everything seems worse than it is. And the resistance they receive from people who they're trying to wake up with their Messiah complex or their evangelical complex is adds to that belief. Oh my God, these people are so lost. Everything's lost. So then they go from there to, well, I have to find an answer, a solution, a hope that someone can fix it. And let me go back to our quote of the day. Hope is the quintessential human delusion simultaneously the source of your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. So it's good to have hope, but I think it's bad to have hope in the wrong place. So libertarian's a classic example, right? People become a libertarian, they find out there's actually a libertarian party. Holy crap, and it isn't what I thought it was, and they're for all these wonderful things, and I was always a libertarian, but nobody told me. Well, if I go tell people, they'll understand, and everybody will want to do this, and then they don't. And they don't, so they get frustrated. Then, when that fails to work, they start to panic, and then they'll follow extreme voices. They go into the world of Alex Jones. They're turning the frogs gay, man! Like, that world, right? And they end up believing, like, a group of, or maybe every conspiracy theory, and 100% of it. Not just, hey, maybe there's something here. And so they follow these extreme voices, and then there's really kind of... Three different outcomes of that. They go into that world, that netherworld of crazy town forever. Or they wash out and go back to sleep. Or they mature into reality. And I want you to just right now understand something. There's only one person that you ever get to have any real influence over if it comes to that point, which one of those three paths they take. And you guessed that it, it's you. You are you are no more going to be able to talk your friend who got the Messiah complex and went off to crazy town and is convinced, you know, that it's lizard reptilian aliens that are running the show and Hillary Clinton's really a reptilian alien and you know that person. You'll no more pull them out of that world than you'll wake up your brother-in-law who's completely asleep in the matrix. 
You don't get any controller. You only control yourself. And that's why this is important. You, the truth is, you must come to accept, you have to come to accept this or you might as well just plug back in. You might as well, like they tell you you can't, like once you take the red pill, you can't eat the blue pill. That's bullshit. It's very easy to put yourself to sleep in this world. The, the, the world is full of sedatives. The world is full of things to lull you back into a sense of compliance. It's easy. It, it's not hard to go back in. It's not hard to forget everything that you've learned. It's not hard to convince yourself that it's all not true. It's actually really easy to believe the government really does care about you. It's really run by people. And we really can fix things if we just get the right people in office. It sounds so much better than nothing you do will change what government does in reality. And government will always seek more power and more control over its people, period, the end. That's a horrible truth. So it's much easier to accept that, well, it's not completely true. And so these things, all these things I'm about to give you here in this segment are the things you have to accept so that you can spend your life force and your life energy doing things that will actually make your life better and give you more control in a world where you have so little control over so many things until you wake up. And even then, there, you, will, you have to accept there will be some things that you will have to just accept you will not control, you will not change. The first is most people want to be led, controlled, and protected. I know I kind of covered that with the lion analogy already, but it's absolutely the case. When you go Messiah complex on something that you figured out, and I, I hear it in so many ways, how do I tell people about the government? How do I tell people about vaccines? How do I pe tell people about libertarianism? How do I tell people about preparedness? How do I? You don't. You don't. You, if you want to be a content creator, if you want to be a writer, a videographer, anything like that, you go speak your truth. And I know people say, there's no such thing as your truth, there's the truth, and there's a lie. No. There is your truth. There is your truth. Your truth is your sincere beliefs based on the information that you have at the time. That doesn't mean there isn't a point of absolutely this thing is or is not. But a lot of things in the world are subjective. So as you speak your truth, you walk your journey, and you discover more and more where you're wrong, and you learn more and more how to be right. But you, that first piece is you got to let them go. You're not going to wake the person up who's completely asleep because they don't want to be awake and in, just like in the movie they will kill you to defend their illusion. People get violent when you actually force your way into the mind of an individual who's not ready for this discussion yet and you actually begin to make headway. When they experience the cognitive distance they get angry. I've seen it and I've had to learn over the years because I'm a very, I, I make a very compelling case for things. And I very much want people to understand things they don't understand. I am a 100% teacher at heart. So I, I, I think I'm helping. But it took me a long time to realize you can think you're helping, but you're not. And I've had conversations with people that seem like they're going the right way. They seem like they're awake. And they'll we'll get to one point, and you'll say one thing, and they get angry. And it's not even a thing about them. I remember talking to a relative one time about how society can break down. And when I told him, not what was going to happen, but what was happening in Argentina at the time. I had just had Fernando Aguirre on one of my episodes. And he said there were people in the streets right at that time. They were buying gold jewelry because it was one of the ways you could own gold. 
and they were making deals in commerce, and they would take a chain out, and they would make a deal, and they'd say, well, how many links of the chain? Like four links. And the guy would take a knife and break the fourth link and hand it to the guy as currency. And when I said this to this relative of mine, he ended the conversation in anger. Like, he didn't get mad at me. He just was mad, and he didn't want to talk about it anymore. Now, I didn't say it was going to happen here. I didn't infer that it was going to happen here. I just said, in situations like you are talking about, this was his subject he brought up, this is the kind of thing that happens. That cracked into a place for him that he wasn't ready to go yet. And he saw his fat state pension at risk, because this guy's a government employee. He saw everything he thought he was doing for society to be potentially a lie. He saw everything he thought would just be simple and comfortable for his family, all of that at risk in one flash moment. You might say that's not real rational. None of this is rational. And you never know what's going to chip away and open that, that cognitive absorption, right? That, that point of understanding. But you do know this. If that person isn't ready... It's going to be a violent response. And I don't necessarily mean to start throwing fists. I mean, the voice is going to come up. Anger is going to happen. They're going to walk away. They turn red. Their heart rate goes up. They sweat. That's how scary this is to people. Because you've, you've, you've nicked away the facade. And they're very quickly going to rebuild that facade. Very, very quickly they're going to rebuild that facade. And now they know they're vulnerable. So think about it. Have you ever maybe hurt your hand? Let's say your right, if your right hand, your right hand, your hand you shake hands with, and you've hurt it, like the metal tar tarsals are sprained or something. Like where if you shake somebody's hand, it's going to hurt. Like even if they don't really do that crushing grip, they just do a good standard firm. Like it's going to hurt, and they reach to shake your hand, and before you, you're pulling your hand back, even though your hand wasn't really in any because immediately you know that's going to hurt. Have you ever had an injury where you you, you become very guarded? Like if you have a really bad scrape or something on your arm, you kind of really think about where you go because you know a little bitty bump is going to hurt it. You become defensive of that injury because it's in your best interest to not let something aggravate it. When you pierce into somebody's mind about things not being super and they weren't ready, they actually become more entrenched and they become more willing to defend that at any and all cost in the face of it doesn't matter how many facts you give them, they won't do it. You have to accept that there's no way to fix this. You can only improve your life and work with the willing as they show up. That's all you can do. There is no answer. We want an answer. We want an answer. We want, hey, if everybody gets on board with this program or this philosophy, you know, if everybody became an anarchist, if everybody became an agorist, if everybody became a libertarian, Right. If any, if everybody got together and we 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 built a resource based economy, or if we did, you know, I've heard so many things. Term limits for Congress. Like, there's so many of these things. Like, we think that if we did this thing, it would fix this problem. It doesn't matter the system we're in. There's three types of people. There's really three primary types of people in the world. There are people that want to control others. There are people that want to be controlled, and there are people that want to be left alone. And I would say that the people that want to be left alone, we are about an equal number with the people that want to control others.
I think that both of us are a small percentage of society. The difference is, those of us who just want to be left alone, we do not seek power. And when we do seek power, it usually goes badly. And I'm not saying that Republicans don't want power, but they don't want it as badly as, as Democrats do, in general, right now, at this point in American history. And this is why Democrats get more done when they are in control than Republicans. Because those who do not want power probably shouldn't seek it. Because it will be used, the power they gain will be used against them. That's a hard thing to accept, too. But so you've got this, this trichotomy, right? Of people that wish to, to control others, people that wish to be controlled, and people that want to be left alone. So what do the people that want to be left alone want to do? They want to have voluntary interactions with people, but they are a minority. You can't work with the people that want to control others because they want to control you too. And you can't get the people who want to be controlled to function independently and be part of what you're doing. So you're going to be lonely. I mean, we can build community and stuff like that, but in the end, you're going to, you're going to realize that the majority of people that you know and love do not want to be this way. They want to be controlled. It's the only reason that you can put children in desks in straight lines in school, 30, 40 kids to a room, move them around like animals all day long, and it mostly works because most of them want to be controlled. The people that are the psychopaths and the sociopaths that want to control others are generally intelligent, and they soon realize, I can use this. I can use this. I can pretend to go along to get along, but I'm really going to position myself to where I gain control in this game. I understand this is a game. I understand that all these people are cogs in a matrix. I understand that I'm not getting out. But I'm going to figure out how to be, you know, one of the controllers. I'm going to be, I might be a slave, but I will be a master slave. Right? That's, that's how these people are. Like, they'll accept some level of subservience to some other layer of the system so that they can have that better level of control, moving up the social hierarchy, as you think of it. But they don't want to move up the social hierarchy solely through affluence and income. They want control. They go into professions that exert control over others. They go and they, they hugely pile into politics and bureaucracy and education because it's control. So that's a very small group, actually. And a lot of your teachers and all, they're not that. They just, well, seems like a good job. I like kids. I'll change the world for the better. And they, they, they're in that little matrix world. That's why you have all these people going to teaching, and the person that's like one of the worst teachers ends up being a principal or superintendent of the school. It's not because they're a good teacher. And I know, I know there are some good teachers that get into those positions, but by and large, no. It's the people that know how to work the system. It's called the iron law of bureaucracy. It was, it was coined by, the, 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 uh, the explanation was, was created by a guy named Jeffrey Pornell. The iron law of bureaucracy. In any organization, the people that are dedicated to the organization itself, rather than the mission of the organization, will assume positions of power, and they will, they will seek to grow the organization rather than to pursue the mission of the, of the organization. Paraphrasing a little bit, but that's basically it. And there's no way out of this. Because the people that become 
addicted to the power that comes by becoming more and more powerful in the group or the subset of the group, those people are that minority that want to control others. That's what they are, period. And this leads us to a shitty conclusion. You're going to have to work with people who are still plugged in and will always be plugged in, and some of them will be psychopaths and most of them will be sheeps because there's more of them than you. On the sheep side, there's more of them than you, and the people who are the psychopaths are the ones that can get things done. And so you have to have this love-hate relationship on some levels with other people in the world because you need them. There's not enough of us. I always joke about creating the island of Jackistan or something like that. They probably have a pretty small population. Because most of us don't want to control other people. We don't want to be in positions of power. Do you? I, I'll tell you, I've never met somebody from this audience that's come to like a real, real in-life thing where I've asked the question, would you like to be a senator or a member of the House of Representatives or a governor or a, even a mayor where they've said, yeah, I would. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants, nobody that wants to be left alone wants to be in the business of harassing other people. So we're going to have to deal with those other people because they outnumber us. It's hard to accept, but it, it, and you have to let them stay asleep or let them stay in control of their little fiefdom they've created for themselves. There are solutions, but they are individual and community-level solutions. There's no party, there's no ideology to change it all for the better. There are ideologies that you can adopt in your own life. There are ways of thinking, ways of processing information, codes of ethics. There are things like an anarchic, anarchist ethos, an agorist mindset, or something like a permaculture mindset. Those things are beneficial, and they will help others. But even in those subsets, there are incredibly rare people that really go into those subsets, there's still going to be a lot of people who are still half in, half out. And you got to let them be. Government is always trying to get more power, and you will never change that ever. This idea that someday we'll create a society where government will be so limited that people can live the way that they want to live without that government growing and overtaking the, the, the world that, that, that you're living in is fantasy. You'll see freaking time machines traveling into the world of the idiocracy before you see a world where government doesn't get bigger over time. And, and this, is, this is a very hard thing to accept. If right now, by some stroke of luck, we're able to create a new Republic of the United States of America in its original dream and better form, a true republic with truly limited government, if we could go back and rewrite the Constitution to be so abundantly clear that we wouldn't be arguing about what the Second Amendment means, because we could even maybe throw the F word in there just to be totally effing clear, and you could get it all done. And you could create a government that is the most limited government that has ever existed since the dawn of the state. What you would get is a period of prosperity that you cannot imagine economically. But within 100 to 200 years, that same government would grow to become the most oppressive and controlling and bloated bureaucracy on the planet. And that is how we got here. Because at the time, despite all our flaws, there was no nation with as much liberty and freedom for most of the people than the United States of America. 
or as they were known at the time, these states united. Now, why does that happen? Because people are not good guardians. No, no. It wouldn't matter if they were. It might take a little longer. You'd get to the same place. The reason is when you create a state, when you and, and, and this this could be a case against the state, but there's going to be a state, so it doesn't matter. So you don't think I'm going back on my own advice here, right? When you create a state, for it to be a state, it must have some power, or it's not a state. There must be some authority. There must be some means by which force can be exerted, or you do not have a state. If everything's voluntary, and I can submit voluntarily to something like a certification to do business in a certain way with a certain group of people, like a gilding thing, Right, And I don't have to. I can go over here and have my own market. Maybe I can't get to do all the wonderful things inside their market they created for themselves, but I'm free to build my own. That's not a state. A state must be able to, by its very nature, by what it is, say, we have the power to take from you in the name of giving to you. And so they will have some power, some form of power to tax, some form to, ins- to make and enforce law, and no matter how many limits you place upon them, whatever power you give this entity we call the state, it will use that power to create another power. And it will use that power to create another power. And in time, it will create the power to undo the restriction. And the reason it will become like more oppressive than anything else you can come up with, instead of starting out with oppression, is truly oppressed societies economically, economically languish. They fail because money goes where it's treated well. So in creating this incredibly liberated society, you create the exact conditions necessary for economic achievement. And as that economic achievement begins to happen, two things occur. The psychopaths that are not predisposed to become, in, become government, they are predisposed to become oligarchs, become very, very, very successful very, very quickly. They build the largest, most successful economic operations you can think of. And they employ and thereby control millions of people collectively. Then the government itself, because it's taxing, even if it's very low taxes, they get lots of tax revenue because there's so much prosperity. I mean, if, if you wanted our government to be as successful as possible in, in, the, the, in regard to revenue from taxation... What you would do is you would get rid of all levies, taxes, duties, period, 100% across the board. You'd get rid of all of them. There'd be no income. I know you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. I got something for you. And then you would institute something like a 5% national sales tax. I'm not advocating for this, and this is part of today's lesson. Even if I was, it doesn't matter. No one's going to do what I say. Just relax. 5% national sales tax. The rate at which our economy would explode would boggle your mind. And that little 5% national sales tax would become a huge windfall to the federal government. And if they have more money, they can implement more programs which need more governance and more control so they exert more authority in your life. You could pay for all the things that they say they want to give you with something as stupid as a 5% sales tax for a time. At which point you would end up with a bloated bureaucratic corpse A zombie government, which is kind of where we're headed today, but a zombie government that's very dangerous that wants to eat your brains. 
They might even create an educational institution designed to program your brain instead of eat it. That's where you're going to end up, and it's going to happen every time. All we have are times in history where we've seen a government fall, the rare instances where the power vacuum, instead of being filled by another dictatorship, are swept and changed into something far more free, and then the cycle repeats, just like the Matrix. We've been here before, we're going to do it again. That's the world you live in. There's simply no winning here. You're not going to win. Your goal is not to win. I know that sounds crazy. But you know a word I haven't used yet? Lose. I didn't say because you're not going to win, you're going to lose. We have to stop thinking in binary code. Win and lose. No. Win would mean to me that all this goes away and I get total freedom. Not going to happen. In fact, win for me, since I want to be left alone and I want what I want for others would be everybody gets total freedom. It's not going to happen. So my goal has to focus on not losing. Many years ago, back before I even started TSP, I met a gentleman named Val Razanov. And Val was a member of the Russian KGB. I ended up working with him. He was an incredible martial artist. We built some DVDs and things like that for him. We built him a website. We, we did like full-on video production, lots of editing, just this great program to teach people the martial arts that the Russian Special Forces and the KGB learned, known as Sistema. And I spent a lot of time with this guy. He was an incredibly intelligent man. He had a childlike uh, exuberance at the same time. But I remember I was talking to him about the subject, though I didn't know that's what we were talking about at the time. And, and, and something came up, and we ended up talking about the philosophy that made the Soviets so dominant in the Olympic Games, especially in, like, combat sports. I mean, the Soviets had a dominance in that for, for decades. And sure, yes, some of it was that they had people, the athletes were like full-time athletes, etc., But what Val explained to me was they didn't teach, let's say, a boxer or someone competing in judo to win a match. They conditioned and taught them to survive during the match. And that if you survive long enough by focusing on not making mistakes and not being led by your opponent and you're playing really kind of towards a stalemate, That sooner or later, you frustrate your opponent or they become bored. And either way, they make a mistake. And by surviving, eventually the way to win presents itself and you capitalize on it. And he said if there's anything that made the Soviets successful in sports, it was that more than anything else. Because, yes, they trained and they, you know, at a high level and they had great coaches. So did everybody else. So did everybody else. But that philosophy was the difference maker. You have to adapt that philosophy to yourself. You have to think as a survivalist in this world and how to make your life a little bit better individually. And then by winning in the eyes of others, because winning to us again is overcoming all this shit. You overcome it for yourself. Then you start to shine like a light and people, people who are waking up come to you. And that's how you build community. What you think, these are all things you have to accept, by the way. 
what you think won't affect what happens. So many people see, I, I see this and it's so bizarre. Like, well, if I, like they actually act as if they change the way they think. Bad things will happen. If they stop watching the news, bad things will happen. Because you tell them, like, stop watching the news. And they're like, oh, oh my God. Like, well, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think you watching the news is somehow controlling the situation? And I know that sounds ridiculous, but people think so. They don't, like, if you actually make it that cut dry, they say no. But I'll explain how this works. It's mysticism, like Vin Armani talks about in a, in a lot of ways. Have you ever been watching a football game, for instance? And if not, insert your thing of choice here. And your team's trying to kick a field goal, right? And that ball is headed and it's got the distance and it could go either way. It could go just inside the upright. It could go just outside the upright. Hell, it could hit the upright. It's And it's going to hit, let's say, the, the as you're looking at it, the right upright. And you and all your buddies watching this game are doing what? With your hands. Oh, pushing to the left. It's though some mystical force is going to go across the waves of your TV screen and shove that ball. Your collective desires will make that ball go just one foot to the left. The three points will go on the board. Your team wins by one. Yay, we won even though you're not on the team. Now, I know that if I sit down and rationally ask you if you really think that's going to happen, you're going to say no, unless you've got some real mental defects. But you, in your heart, believe it a little bit. Or you wouldn't do it. You would just sit there and go, ah, okay, it's in. Ah, it went out. Bums. Right, That's that would be it. The reason we do these things, the reason like when we're watching a, a combat sport, like MMA, and, and our guy's about to land a right, and you, you, you kind of like throw your right, like you get a little jab, like, yeah, get him. Like, because... In your mind, there's a connection between your observation of the thing and the thing itself. There's no actual connection. It's all internal. It's all in your mind. You've created it for yourself. But if that happens in something like sports, where we clearly know better. We clearly know better. It happens definitely in things that are more relevant in our lives, at least we believe they are. Like taxes. Like potential war. We feel some weird level of control by watching the news, by paying attention, by knowing what's going on, going on, by being informed. You know, I like to be informed too. Do you know why? So I can figure out what investment to make next. So I can figure out where to position my life for when this collective delusion does whatever it's going to do next. But I am under no misconceptions that I influence the delusion. None. I talk to a quarter million people and I have no real effect on what's going to happen in the world. None. What I have effects on are the people that willingly listen, to choose to use what I bring you, to determine what you want to use for yourself and what the Jeet Kune Do it. I always tell people, never blindly follow anybody, including me. You take from what I give you what is useful, you apply it, you use it, and you make your life better. That's what I want for you. I know I don't control that. I want it for you. I don't, I don't demand that you do it that way. If you accept that, what will happen is you will realize that exactly that can happen for you. You can look at this and see what people are going to do and figure out what to do for yourself. When it comes to freedom with COVID, if you don't know now, I don't know that you ever will. 
There are places where there's going to be a half a modicum of common sense in the way they handle this, and there are places, I shit you not, they will still be telling you it is not safe to go outside in 2022. And if you're living there, you either need to figure out how to make it not affect you, or you need to get the hell out of there. Like, you're not going to have New York or Michigan or Washington or California suddenly change their mind about this. They're not going to open, like, the numbers one day and look at the numbers and go, yeah, you know, yeah, we need to stop doing this. We need to admit we were wrong. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So you already know this. So what are you going to do about it? See, are you going to go call your brother and tell him he's wrong? Are you going to call your brother who said he's going to get vaccinated and give him 20 reasons not to get vaccinated? you think it's going to work? All you going to do is damage your family relationship. If he wants to know, the information is there. If he doesn't want to know, nothing you say is going to change it. And you've got to expand that beyond your brother to all the humans on the planet. We are not changing this, and we do not influence it by looking at it. This is not biocentrism at a political level. You turning off Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever it is for two weeks and not looking at it, nothing in the world is going to happen any differently because you didn't look at it. And unless what you're getting from it is meaningful and useful in your life, don't look at it. Don't bother. Don't worry about it. Here's my final thoughts on this. I woke up today trying to figure out what I wanted to talk to you about. And I started thinking about how many of these conversations that I'm having with other influencers behind the doors right now. We're talking about things we can do to help people. And I realized some of them, I don't know if I can do it. I can't, I don't know if I can work with them on it because I think their expectations are wrong. I don't mean wrong is moral. I mean wrong is in potentially possible. I think there's a lot of people out there in this space right now that really think we're on this verge of this mass awakening of people. And I know that we're not. My goal has always been to work with the remnant, to work with the willing, to work with the people that say, I get it. I've been through it. I had my moment where I thought we were going to change everything, and now I know we're not. I'm going to change everything for me. Because if we ever are going to make a massive impact on the world, that's how it's going to be done. Every second that you spend thinking about how to get someone else to do something is the second you don't spend doing it. The people that ask me the most about, you know, how do I spread preparedness to my brother? I guarantee if I go to their house, they're the least prepared people out there. Because they're so worried about what somebody else is doing, they're not doing it for themselves. They're the people that I, somebody phrased it this way one time, and it was, was about a listener of my show, but it wasn't my opinion. It was his brother. Somehow I ended up knowing this guy's brother. And he said, I'll tell you something about my brother. He's the guy that tells you how much you need smoke detectors while his house is on fire. And there's so much of that in the world. And it's not because people are bad. It's not because people are stupid. It's because people genuinely want to help others. And they're not sure how to do things for themselves. And they really believe they can't get it done unless somebody does it with them. you got to start thinking about building the life you want. Like you just found a hill, a really steep hill. It takes two hours to get to the top of, about two hours to get back down. But you can do it. On the top of that hill, there's literally lumps of gold laying all over the place. And you know that no matter how many trips you take... You're never going to get all of it, and other people are starting to take some of it anyway. 
And you also, you've done the math, you know, if I take a certain number of trips, I'm going to have enough of this that I can live the way I want for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be able to make enough trips to do that, right? And I'm going to have what I want. And everything's going to be fine if I just do this thing. All I have to do is just ignore everything for the next two weeks and make three trips a day with as much as I can carry down without getting myself hurt, without fighting anybody for it. They can have whatever. There's tons of it up there. You being a good person might tell your brother, hey, Bill, guess what? I found all this gold up on top of the hill. And Bill's going to be like, you're freaking nuts. And you say, no, look. And you show him a handful of gold coins. And he goes, ah, you must have stole that. You know, it's free. It's a you would do that for a couple of minutes. And you'd say, you know what, Bill? If you want to know how to get to the top of the hill, you got my number, text me. Bye. And you go up the hill. And you go keep doing it until you got enough to build the life you wanted. That's how this all works. You put the things in place that you need to put in place to live life on your own terms. And you start living life that way. And sooner or later, somebody will say, hey, how do I do that too? And maybe the particular hill that you got your gold on is kind of cleaned out now. Maybe that, maybe you can still do it, but it's not as easy. You got to hunt a little bit at the top. Sounds a lot like a cryptocurrency market is turning into, right? But in the end, that person's not giving you permission. You can help them. That's it, guys. That's the world we live in. I'm not trying to wake up anybody anymore. The biggest thing, though, is I figured out it was never possible in the first place. If you'd asked me back in 2014, Jack, does TSP and its community and your show red pill people, I would have proudly said yes, and I would have been absolutely wrong. We don't red pill anybody. People red pill themselves. All we do is provide the support when they wake up in that tub of goo. And at any point, before they get all the goo out of their hair, take a shower, and unplug the, the cord, they can go back to sleep. And if you push too hard, you might actually push them back in. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you guys, if you like this show and the work that we do, and you want to help support our show, one of the ways you can do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I've got a new old item for you today. How's that work? Well, it's just I brought you tons of stuff by Anchor before, and I've brought you tons of their power core backup portable chargers. And they had a really great one for a while with an aluminum case that was in the 10,000 milliamp hour range. was really, really affordable, and they've discontinued it. So I was going to run that one today, and when I tried to find it, it was gone. So I was like, well... I know Anchor, and when they get rid of something, they usually replace it with something that's a little bit better. They have now the PowerCore Slim. It's a 10,000 milliamp hour portable charger. It's not as big as some of the, like the Astro E7 is my favorite. That thing's like two old school laptop batteries fused together, though. It's huge. This thing's small. It's lightweight. It's about as thick as a typical cell phone. It's a little bit more narrow, but a little bit longer than a typical cell phone. I'd say it's like two decks of playing cards stuck together end to end. And maybe a little thinner than that. Maybe like maybe like you take a deck of cards and take the cards out, cut them, and then stick them together end to end without shuffling them. It's about that size. But that will charge an iPhone 12 2.3 times. So even a, 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 your standard typical cell phone will give you two full charges from the from zero. That's a lot of backup power, and the thing's on sale today for 18 bucks. Um, in some ways. I think that you know, with a with an Astro E7 being somewhere in the neighborhood of like almost sixty bucks 
three of these, it's a little bit more, and you've got three that can go to three different places, and if one breaks or wears out, you still have two? It might be a better way to go in some instances. I wanted to say something else, too, about the Anchor Power Core stuff. I've had quite a few people ask me, do you know a charger like this that, that has pass-through charging? And what they mean is, I want to plug this thing in for it to fill up, and then I want to plug my phone into it, and I want to charge pass-through charging. I, I don't really know any of them that work that way, and I don't think it's really necessary or even that useful. Personally, the way that I manage mine in my vehicle, which I, I really don't do this anymore because I'm just not in the vehicle as much anymore. I, mine's sitting right behind me plugged into the wall. Um, but when I did use my vehicle a lot more, I would take my backup charger, and I'd plug it in. And I'd take my phone, plug it in separately. And the, the, the charger always stayed fully charged. And if I needed the, char the, the, the backup package, grabbed it. And the way you do that, you get a nice little, you know, if you don't have multiple existing uh, USB ports in your vehicle, you just get a, you know, a splitter that goes into your 12-volt VDC. That's how I do it, and that's what I really recommend. Um, that also means that that pack is basically going to be charged and just stay charged. It's going to have very little cycling, and that means it's going to last longer than if you're constantly draining it and reusing it. So you get more longevity. I think the oldest Anchor PowerCore backup pack that I have right now It's like six years old, and it still works flawlessly. Uh, I love Anchor. I think this is a great product, and I wanted you to know about it. Remember, you can always support us, though. No matter what you buy, all you got to do is start your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, let's wrap things up with our song of the day today. I'm not going to have long segments today on the music. I'm just going to tell you what the song is, uh, because the whole week, we're doing 420 week. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, I know. And some of you are like, what the hell's that? 420 is basically, um, I think it's a code. It's a legal code for marijuana or something like that in California or something. Or it was the law that legalized it. I don't, 420 is something synonymous with marijuana. And so on 420, if you partake, you partake on 420, right? So tomorrow's 420 and John Adam just came up with a bunch of songs that fit We're going to call it 420 Week because a week's better than a day. This one's, I think it's the oldest song we have for you this week. It's from the 60s. It's by a band called The Coasters, and it's called Let's Get Stoned. With that's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Yeah. Won't you sing it one more time, children?